all what I did in the Marine Corps is just to prepare me for something else. Uh, I don't think that was my purpose. I think that was just a stepping stone. I think that was just some tools in my toolbox to help whatever it is, whatever my purpose is, whatever God put me on this earth to do. Welcome back to the show. Today we have a really fun episode for you guys. We are joined with Jesse Phillips, who served in the United States Marine Corps and deployed multiple times to Afghanistan. Jesse is a man who has lived more than the average person. From growing up in a family with 13 kids, being raised as a cowboy in Mississippi, to following his passion and filmmaking after his military career, this episode is a crazy one. Through the ups and downs Jesse has had to overcome, he is full of positivity and wisdom. We know you all will enjoy listening to in today's show. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Jesse, what's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. How are y'all too? Doing good. Doing I good. like the cowboy hat, and it looks like you're like in a nice little like cabin. Is that like the style home you're in? Yeah. Uh, it's my office. Yeah. It's my office. <laughs> My one little bed, my, I used, my office was in my laundry room in my house and I have a <laughs> wife and four kids and a dog and it didn't work very well. So I took old tack room and turned it into my office. So I like it. So nice. for everybody listening, what's kind of cool about having you on is one, I feel like obviously we do all four branches, but we don't have uh, many Marine Corps and I think we've had a few, mm-hmm. which has been great. So it's great to have you on and hear your story, but also, um, we how did we meet again? Did we meet through our mutual friend Emily with Fox News, or was it? We through, did. Okay, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's how that's that's how we met. So that's kind of cool. So people listening, obviously Jesse, um, you know, isn't in the book. We haven't really met in person, but we have a lot of mutual friends in the veteran space. So it's great to kind of officially unofficially meet you <laughs> and have that's you right. on the podcast. Um, how how did your relationship? I want to get started with. Because obviously I know you have a ranching background like myself mm-hmm. and working on different operations. How did you get linked up with Micah Fink and Heroes and Horses? <laughs> um, so y'all know, y'all know the Veterans Project? Yeah. Tim Colzak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's right. in our so book, Tim? actually. Oh, good. Have, have you had him on yet? Uh, not yet. No. So we um, oh, he's... when we interviewed uh, Nate Boyer for the book, he mm-hmm. recommended that we get in touch with Tim. And when I met with Tim, he was doing kind of like a, a really cool similar project to us, like photographing veterans, um, mm-hmm. all of our allied veterans. And so that, that makes sense that obviously we met through them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, Tim's a good buddy, man. So is Nate. Nate Boy and I have worked on a couple projects together. And uh, yeah, so I, I was, uh, Tim was doing a, a project on, on Fink. He had just done one on me. And um, so we just kind of, I've always wanted to go to Montana. I was like, look, I'll just shoot behind the scenes for your for your project while I was out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just went out there and, and Mike and I, you know, met and became good friends. And I've been out there several times since and um, about to go back in two or three weeks for their gala. Yeah, I just um, I just talked to Mike on the phone two days ago about the awesome. gala. And I'm trying to figure out a way if I can make it out there for it. I'm not sure if I can, but I was talking to him a little bit about that and obviously it's a great organization and for people listening that don't know um it's it's basically a equine therapy veteran owned organization that helps treat veterans with ptsd or any anxiety related issues puts them in with a wild horse 
allows them to break in that horse. And I think it's what a little over a hundred days. It's 40, 41 days, oh, 41 days. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it's, it's not one of those, those veteran, um, first of all i'm very cynical about the veteran space so if i'm gonna hurt feelings i'm sorry we're all all about (laughs) Um, hurting feelings oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not one of those uh go you know a free free hunting weekend Mm -hmm. and uh therapy through killing pigs out of a helicopter or something like that it's not that it's an actual not there's anything wrong with that but it's not necessarily helping people it's just giving them something fun to do yeah this is actually it's one of the only ones that i would say um is doing a pretty good job of um helping because it's on these 41 days they're i mean these guys are coming and they're you know how veterans get we, we get fat and out of shape when we get out and and then you start getting something from the va and you realize you don't have to work as much as normal and you start doing this and you feel a bit depressed so you go take this pill and they cram all this down your throat and then all of a sudden your life is you don't have any purpose or drive and um not everybody but some you know the ones i'm talking about yeah. and um so this program is uh you know they're on whole 30 the whole time they're they're getting up at four they're pt and they're camp their pole camps like a mile up the the, the mountain that's bad they have to walk up and down it just to go get their stuff and every morning every night um and uh, i mean most of these guys haven't been around horses either so yeah. you have to start them pretty pretty basic and then by the end of it you know they've been on you know, I, I work like 500 miles on horseback all through the back country and they have, you know, packed, uh, packed mules and everything. And, um, it's not a coddling. It's not a, I wouldn't even, I have a hard time even calling it therapy from what I've experienced. It's <laughs> yeah, more of a, it's hard work. Uh, it, yeah, it's work. It's more of a, it's more of a vice cause you don't, you don't get better without putting pressure on yourself in any way. And mm-hmm. it's basically the pressure that it's, it's a program that puts pressure on you and you figure out who you are through it. Yeah. And I, Dan, I think you know this by now, but people listening that don't know anything about the equine industry or horses, breaking a wild horse and becoming accustomed to riding in 40 days is pretty insane. Yeah. Um, so these, I wouldn't call them wild. They're, I call them green broke. Most of are them they? are green broke, I think. So they've had a few, you know, they've had a good many rides on them, but they're not, they're not a, they're not bomb proof trail, trail horse. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great program. And I, yeah, like I said, I'm not, I don't do a lot of uh, talking about nonprofits because I don't trust a lot of them, but this yeah. one I do. Same. Yeah. I actually have a buddy who went through uh, the whole program and, um, I know it's probably saved his life and he, he talks about it all the time and, uh, it's, it's a pretty incredible program and you're right. There's, there's too many other veteran programs mm-hmm. out there that are out there to benefit veterans, but in all actuality, they're just give handouts and don't really give purpose or try and reshape uh, uh, people's mentality and, and really try and heal them. So, um, I really love what, um, what they're doing up there. Yeah. It's sad. Cause I think a lot of, I think a lot of them, they're not all snakes in the grass. I think a mm-hmm. lot of the people mean well, they're really trying to help and they're trying to do something for them. Mm-hmm. But I think that the whole system has been set up to try to make us, you know, dependent on victims. And then you get out and the, and the whole, the VA system is to make you, is to keep you in that mindset of everybody needs to give me something, take care of me. And, and then you go and then instead of getting out of that, that mindset and getting in the real world, cause the real world doesn't really care if you served or not, they like to pat you on the back, but if you can't do your job, then they don't need you. Yeah. Um, it kind of takes you out of that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, um, just totally lost my train of thought. 
I don't even know where I was going with that. It was going to be really good, though. <laughs> um, oh, that, yeah, they don't. All, they they mean well. Mm-hmm. It's just it, it kind of continues that path of getting handouts because some of these people they'll go bounce around and they'll get you know fifteen free hunts in a year because yeah. they're a veteran. And it's like I don't know. I just I'm never. I don't know if that's where you want to go. Yeah, I'm not real popular when it comes to. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um... But do you want to? Do you want to start the intro and I'll keep all that because of it? Yeah, just uh, if people are listening to this, and if he, I, I've had a technical issue off to the side, so I don't know what happened. But my two videos didn't want to record simultaneously, so some people are going to miss a good portion of the beginning video. But I think we're good now. We're recording both. Sweet. Um, well, I can even. I mean, that doesn't need to go in the segment. I can just reintroduce, and we can start from here. No. Oh, okay. Nah, nah, we're fine. We're fine. Just put a little disclaimer in the in the beginning of the videos, like you're missing the first whatever it is, six minutes of video. Okay. It'll be fine. Um sorry, so I know obviously you sent um you sent a little bit of about your bio and I'll be completely honest, Bo and I uh once you sent your bio over and, and told a little bit Bo and I dug a little bit more to learn some about you. And, and let me tell you, you have lived a crazy ass life. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially after uh, military. It's been it's been crazy. So we want to jump into a lot of those things. But one of the first things I want to jump into is like you're you you grew up in a big family. A lot mm-hmm. of kids. Mm. Like what was that like growing yep. up in a house household full of that many kids? Oh man, it was awesome. Christmases were fun and never boring. Never boring. There was thirteen of us in all. Uh, nine boys, four girls. Um, nine boys. To answer all the to answer all the questions everybody gives, we weren't Catholic. We didn't have twins, and my mom and dad did have a TV. Those were, <laughs> all right, get those well, out of the well, way. You didn't eliminate one. Were you guys Mormon? <laughs> <laughs> Not Mormon. Either. <laughs> uh, Just yeah, a good old country was, family. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Love the Lord and and. Um, you know, the Lord says, uh, arrows in the hands of a mighty man, or, uh, yeah, arrows in the hands of a mighty man are children of one's youth. Mm-hmm. And my dad would always say, it's like, if I'm going to battle, I want all the arrows I got. I don't want just one or two. I want as many as I can carry. So how do you, he made all- how do you manage to feed all those kids? Like, did he have a pretty we- stable kind of job? Like I'm kind uh, of- <laughs> not at all. That That's the funny part. Uh, it's not funny, but most people don't get it. He believed as much as I do that um, Matthew 6 talks about the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the ravens. He owns all the animals. And he says, and they don't ever go hungry or, or starve. And he says, aren't you more important than they are? Don't you think that? Mm-hmm. So his viewpoint, um, he was a he was a strength coach at Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that's where he met my mom. She was a volleyball player. And then they ended up, he got a job offer for Bear Bryant. Um, to coach for Alabama, and um, he turned it down because he felt like he needed to get in the ministry because he had gotten saved and started working. And so, no, he didn't have a stable job. We, he just uh, taught young men the Bible, and um, and we did a lot of hunting and growing our own food. Never went hungry. People listening, I'm six like... five. I'm a monster, and <laughs> like we're all monsters. We're we're huge, a big family. Not really, just, not just multiple. Yeah. What's your guys' background? What our, our heritage? Yeah, Scottish and Irish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They make some pretty big people over there. 
Yeah, we got. <laughs> well, you said you said you, your mom was in uh, volleyball, right? And and your dad mm-hmm. was a strength coach. I mean, that right there. Sense. That's yeah. I mean, had, yeah, they were athletes all the <laughs> way through, and yeah, yeah. So that, it was good. It was good. Rural Mississippi. And, so uh, yeah. Did you guys grow up like ranching and doing things like that? Is that kind of what has shaped what yeah. you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, we did it. Um, my, my older, we grew up on 300 acres that we rented. Oh wow! From, and um, and my brother started training horses for people, and then it got into training. We would we'd get mustangs out of the Dakotas, mm-hmm. and uh, he would train those. So I I'd always help. I I did more of the the green break and put rides on them once he did all the hard stuff. Um, so I did that all the way through high school, and so that's what got me into it. And then got in the Marine Corps and got away from it for a while, but now I got my own place and. And uh, my kids are all back into wanting to do it all, and so it's do you, fun. Do you think you'll raise them in like horsemanship and all that too? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah, cool for sure. Yeah. It, yeah, it's it's hard to come by these days. Mm-hmm. Like unless it you is. know outfits, yeah. it's a very small world. Like once you start working on ranches and helping out, you start to realize that like everybody in that community knows each other, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to this ranch, and they're like, oh, well, tell so and so I said hi, but you right. just you just don't <laughs> see many. You know, I guess I'll say it like the cowboy tradition anymore. You don't see many people that want to work hard as a family, grow up around animals and help animals and, and live off the land. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important. The crazier this world gets, the more important it is to know how to do all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's all those crazy, like, uh, really bad videos of people asking like oh where does the where's your corn come from where's the french fry come from or like where does you know your your egg come from and a lot of kids don't know they until they get like in touch with the earth and like go out to a farm and and understand where food comes from and like how the really the cycle of life and how everything was prior to the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard for, for people to connect with it. So I think it's, it's critically important for folks to stay connected with um, how everything's created. Yep. 100%. I want to um, jump into a little bit of your military career. And mm-hmm. obviously, like, what was that like? Like, did Mississippi kind of have a little bit of a push for you to want to enlist in the Marine Corps or how did that all come about that you wanted to serve the country? Uh, 9-11. Really? I was 11 years old. Yeah. I was, I, we were also homeschooled. So that's another, another cool little fact. Um, you're the so, same age as I am because I, I was 11 when it happened. Yeah. So you were probably in history class, weren't yeah, you? Uh, I was in the hospital that day. And <laughs> I, yeah. And I remember, uh, I think I had, uh, I had a seizure like three, four days prior and so I was in a hospital in, in California, like taking some like neurologic tests. And I remember looking up at the monitors and watching it happen. Hmm. Yeah, I was on a roof roofing at 11 years old. A <laughs> <laughs> neighbor, neighbor was building a house and I was helping him. Cause I was, um, yeah, and that, that's I called my best friend, Grant Jeffries, at the time, the same age. And we decided when we got old enough, we had enlist and, and go kill all the bad guys and um, my older brothers beat me to it. They got there first. They got three older brothers that went before me mm-hmm. to army. Uh, one was a cab scout, an officer. The other one was, a. um, he was a medic, 91 whiskey medic, got to E five, went to state, got his commission, went to be a ranger commander at a, uh, two seven five. And then, uh, resigned his commission and went when, back to, when was he a ranger E5. commander? 
it's been a couple years, three or four. Okay. All right. All right. After my time, I served in two seven five as well, so that's why I was okay. like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was with them, and then so he re- he resigned his commission and went back uh, E five, mm. and now he's what? Now he's yeah. I didn't he's, know you could a, do that. He's nobody did. It really <laughs> pissed off a lot of the officers. Because um, so he could have he could have gone back at E six if you resign your commission. He rated to go back at E six, but he had if he went back to E six, the peers they some some reason they would be able to have a say-so. So he was like, I'm just going to, you know, F it. I'm going to E5, and they can't say anything. So he went from being a company commander to a team leader in the Gee, same week. Wow. Lease. I didn't know you could do that either. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a lot more interesting than I am. He's <laughs> doing uh, whatever they call, they used to call it CAG. I don't know what they're calling it now, but that's what he's doing. I think it's still the same. So, yeah. Wow, that's, so that's he's, crazy. Uh, and then the other one was a Marine, so two Marines, two Army. So did he already get selected to go through CAG? Yeah. Maybe a while. Well, there's not that many, like, there are officers there, but there's not that many. And then it's also, if you actually want to do something, then you're typically not an officer. You have to be enlisted. So mm. I can imagine, right. like, if his drive was actually uh, to. He's a trigger puller. That's, yeah, that's yeah his... exactly. <laughs> so I, I yeah. completely Most of those understand. Guys are. Yeah. Well, yeah. I get it now. Like, that, that, that makes a lot more sense. But I, I had no idea you could do that. Not, yeah, not, nobody would, it's pretty stupid if you're thinking about it any other way besides that. <laughs> what, what made you, cho- uh, decide to go with the Marine Corps? Um, <laughs> propaganda, <Yeah. laughs> the war movies, uh, John Wayne, you know, oh, yeah. Iwo Jima and all that. Yeah. I guess it's, that was, that was my, you know, the reason why I chose them. They have better looking uniforms and. That's true. Yeah, I will admit that. Well, especially at the time. Yeah, they had some. Well, now y'all are going. Y'all are both army, right? No, I wasn't in. Yeah. Okay. So you're in the army. So, Mm -hmm. uh, y'all's pinks and greens. Y'all are pulling back around, giving us a run for our money. Those things are sexy. Mm -hmm. Those look. Those look good. (laughs) They're sharp. It's funny though, because you and I have a similar story to where we were the same age, and Mm -hmm. 9/11 is what inspired me. Dan also, because he graduated a year early in high school and then went into the army. So mm-hmm. he left and we grew up together since we were five. And oh, wow. We, and when he yeah. left the town that we were living in, that was hard on me. And in my mindset, I was thinking, well, I want to join the Marine Corps and trying to go into recon and become like a scout sniper in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of going to be my mission. And so I enlisted at the same age at 17, got a signature by my parents and all that and people listening have heard this story but i just think it's cool that uh you and i were kind of the same age and all this happened both want to join the marine corps obviously you went through with it and my family pulled me out right right when i was in line at maps and um but i wanted to try and find a way to continue to serve because obviously i was hearing from dan when he would come home from deployments he would describe some things but you know like most people that have served overseas they're not going to tell civilians so much of what's going on mm. yeah yeah well, man, it takes everybody in this country doing what we're doing to keep it going good. And, and people that I think that people mean well when they put a lot of emphasis on what veterans do. But in my opinion, if you're Joe the plumber and you're you got 10 people employed and you're taking care of 10 families and, they're, you know, and you're raising people that love this country and can mm-hmm. contribute, that's just as important as what we did over there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, especially with the way Afghanistan ended, um, a lot of what we did over there, we sure thought we were doing the right thing, but yeah. 
probably being here contributing to what was going on here may have even been more important for our country than what I was doing. So, um, so don't cut yourself short. Is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's just sorry. Like, you know what's going on. I don't want to. I don't want to dive too deep into the obvious. You know what's going on. I'm sure you've heard enough from people that you're close with, but I'm just kind of curious to hear from your perspective as being in the Marine Corps. I mean, how was that when you heard about obviously the 13 that lost their lives and the recent events that have happened? Um, it was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. It was pretty rough because I was over there not long ago. I was in there in 18, so really very, mm-hmm. not, not long ago at all. And, um, and that, you know, I, we had, we were hit by the same kind of, it wasn't thankfully the big charge didn't go off but the same thing should have happened to us and um it's just it, it's frustrating because it shouldn't have happened mm-hmm. we own you know we own the battle space that's where the bullies in the we're the ones with the teeth and when you have when you lose control of the battle space and they're all of a sudden cramming it all into one like mm-hmm. you're just begging for it to happen that shouldn't have happened there's no i mean it was just on every level it, it almost feels like it was on purpose Mm-hmm. it really it really like there was no reason for that it, to happen. it was really weird yeah and we were watching it go down we were well, seeing the same thing it's such a hard situation to be put in because you know we were talking about this actually on a previous podcast about how in the military you're 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 basically i mean you're following orders whatever the orders are but orders typically come from policy and typically from policy makers they have no idea what's going on, on the ground no matter how much they try and look at pictures images they get reports things like that they just don't have a direct connection to it. So you have the, <clears throat> these incredible influx of people who are trying to get out of the country. Some of them American citizens, some of them, uh, you know, SIV applicants, some of them just Afghan uh, citizens. And they're trying to figure out how to get out. Of course, they're going to basically <laughs> bum rush the, the yeah. few checkpoints there are to get in. And then you have incredible brave and uh, like when i saw the images and things of what these uh uh, marines and other other service members were doing of actually like intermingling Mm -hmm. into the crowds to pull people out that's to check their paperwork i was like that's that's insane and they're doing it because they're getting told hey you have to get these people out you have to get these people out because you have a deadline you have to get these people out so they were put in a really hard position Mm -hmm. and like you said, it should have never happened. It should, especially not like that. And, uh, it, I know it affected more people than I think a lot of people realize. And it's easy to like for it to hit and then forget about it. And that's what happens for a lot of the general American population. It feels like it's happening right this second. Like it was really hot. Everybody was talking about now. It's like for next week, they started talking about the mandatory, whatever and then they just well they're going to be back on the topic of COVID, and that's that's the hard part is that the media wants to spin things to their benefit and then once it's done it's not hot anymore it's out the window but that's not what us americans care about yeah us americans yeah. are all feeling like what the fuck man we need to come together and help each other out right now and get yeah. these people out and the thing about that i don't know did y'all see the video that one of the marines posted it's like a, a de- the day in the life and that what, what was down, cool about a lot that, of people i uh i actually was talking to him on his instagram um, cause I commented cause I recognized the song and I was like, Oh, yeah, you put up title totally fight. Cool. And, and, uh, he's like, Oh, you know, pop punk. I was like, dude, that's the music I used to listen to all the time. And I was like, well, great video. Like it's, it's cool to see that you, uh, are posting a little bit behind the scenes, but there was some brutal footage in there. 
like of them yeah. like pushing people off the barbed wire mm-hmm. and yeah. you know and having to push people back and i didn't know, i didn't know he had I'm to take so it glad. i'm so glad he had the ball yeah he, his his commanders i mean his you know hire told him to take it down but by that, that time sense. it's already out i'm so glad he put that up because it it really was i mean you you know what it's like it it's not very sexy over there no, no. <laughs> most of the time it's just gross and ugly and the video showed like it wasn't it wasn't cool as in call of duty cool it no. was like the kind that make you want to it's just you think about it and that's what hurts me the most about this whole situation and it's really been going on since war started yeah. but the old men the the ones that think you know they have all the power they send they, they start all this they create this mess and then it the decisions are made by the 19, 18, 19, 20 year old dudes on the front. Mm-hmm. And those are, those Marines are trained to kill. That is, they are trained to kill their infantry Marines. That's their job. And then they're trying, they're having to police and they're having to decide who's, I mean, they're, they are put in some situation. There's no training mm-hmm. that could prepare them for what they did. And they did an awesome job. Yeah. And, and it, it just makes me so proud of them and so pissed off at my government. I can't hardly well, stand it to stay that calm and to stay like that professional at that age as hard as young men to do. Yeah. When people are pushing you and people are spinning in your face and trying to break through and you're trying to also treat these people with kindness because you understand their position, but you're also trying to do your job at the same time. That's, that's a level of like, man, that takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, it does. And it's, you know, and you have to remember again, I just said it, but they're trained to kill. They're not trained to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then they're putting this, impossible situation and then all they're doing is you have to suppress all your rage Mm -hmm. all your anger all this because if you do one thing wrong it's going to go viral all over the world and america looks you know even worse than we already do right now and uh i don't know those boys are they've been in my thoughts and prayers a lot because when you get back you know what it's like when you get you suppress all that for a long time oh yeah I you hope might be too, you might get out three years later and before you even start to think about scratching into some of the stuff you suppressed and it will come out someday yep. going to mm-hmm. come out and it's usually ugly the longer you would hold it in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we talk about it all the time is the reason we wrote this book. It's the reason why we told these veteran stories like, or really had them tell their stories because it's such an important thing. And I, I hope I don't, I, I, I don't know, maybe one of them listens to this, maybe a family member listens to this or whatever, but I do hope that they come back and they do share those stories because not only are they going to fig- forget certain aspects of it, like typically you forget the good times. Usually those are the ones that, that, that go by the wayside eventually, but those ones that were really hard are the ones that stick with you and you don't like talking about and they come back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that <clears throat> will come up from behind you and creep on you. And eventually, you know, that's why a lot of veterans have, have problems processing things because they don't talk about it until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were, mm-hmm. um, I want to kind of go back into your, your personal career and what were some of the experiences like with obviously you being in the Marine Corps and having deployments in South America and Afghanistan? Uh, what was it like? Yeah. Like when, when, um, when were you in? Like what were your, what years were you deployed? So I got in, in at 19, 19, I got, or uh, sorry, 19, a decade before that. Okay. 2009 I got in. Yeah. 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 And, uh, the last, uh, in 18 in Afghanistan, I had, a, I got, a, I didn't get shot or anything cool. I fell in a, were you in helmet at all? 
Uh, I spent like a very short duration, like uh, okay, like well, three weeks there or something. Okay. Well, they have these like big twelve foot pits that they dig down, and then they put their pump at the bottom to pump the well out of. Mm-hmm. I went in one of those in uh, Lumania, broken foot, and and uh, so I and I finished out the deployment and and uh, made it all worse. So I I had a bunch of surgeries and I got back. So it was two years of medical. Oh wow! At the end of it, but I just. Um, January, I, my retirement just went completely through. So, oh wow! So that's so this, twelve years. Twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah. 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 Um, it was it was interesting, rewarding. Um, you know, I I would even you know, I'm not, I don't really I love America and our country's great, always has been, but our government sucks mm-hmm. and they're and they're they're evil. I'm sorry if I don't. Y'all can cut that out if you don't like it, but <laughs> now we keep it um, raw. <laughs> and and, the, and for me, I always thought like I would, I was pretty aware of everything that was going on, and I realized in Afghanistan that's when I started wake like this past. I was just like something's not right. Like we're not here. This is not a fight for freedom. We're not mm-hmm. here. To, this is not. This game is not meant to be won. <laughs> this is not because uh, all they have to do is let's let her do her job. Let us do our job, and we, you know, we'd win in a heartbeat. Yep. Us and the Rangers could take over in Afghanistan in no time if we could do it yep. the way we would need to do it. Yep. Like, no, no doubt in my mind. But we're not allowed to, and it, the game was was rigged, and it was rigged against us by our own uh, people. So, um, it was rewarding in, in a lot of ways, as far as the brotherhood and everything. Um, but looking back at it, it's just it makes me kind of it's uh. It's just tough. It's tough see, gonna see you know, I, I wanna it's basically Vietnam just happened again. Yeah. Only yeah. it was lasted longer. And I remember before I got in <laughs> Vietnam, some friends of mine and mentors, they were in Vietnam and they tried to tell me what was what it would be like and it would turn out like this and I didn't listen. And so the next one I'm gonna do the same you know, it's just it's almost <laughs> like I could see the next one happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not be able to do anything about it. So I think honestly that this this one's a little bit different. And oh, I think yeah. that we really have a lot of of good, salty, um, strong leaders in the veteran community, and I think that we're gonna do. I think we're gonna change this country. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so glad you said that and that it came from you because I was going to say that, and I've said that multiple times to people, and I think that's. I've talked about it multiple times. I've said it numerous, numerous times, but I, I truthfully believe, you know, out of World War II, you know, we talked about the the greatest generation, how they mm-hmm. reshaped America. Mm-hmm. They they created new jobs. They took up industry. They uh, started major companies. They became our, um, you know, our leaders of our community, teachers, all these different things, right? And you can't have 20 years of conflict without creating a new generation of people that are connected somehow, and we all are. And you learn things through combat that you don't learn in a peacetime military. And there's going to be, yes, a wave of people reflecting back on their service and, and, and realizing how they need to grow. But I think I'm hoping, and I really think that this is going to be the case. And I'm going to keep saying this until I wish it into fruition, but, um, Veterans are going to reshape America. Yeah. They will. They're going to be mm-hmm. the new leaders of our businesses, of our industries, of our uh, communities, of our government, hopefully, um, to really reshape it the way that it needs to be, to be a stronger, more unified country. 
and you're seeing it more and more veterans are stepping up. I mean, look at all the veterans that banded together when Afghanistan was collapsing and people needed to get out. Yeah. All these veterans I just went and stepped up, went and did it. They yeah. Did it. Yep. They said, don't, don't worry about it. Send me, I'll be the one that does it. Yeah. Like you don't need to worry about this. Like I, I understand that you are having a difficult time processing this, continue to process it. We're going to act. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what they did. And I think veterans, that's their one unique an incredibly unique but powerful thing that they have to their benefit is they will step up and act when the time is right and when it's needed. I agree hundred percent. And I, and I feel more confident now that that's happening and will continue to happen. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, I was, uh, I've been on a couple of podcasts this week and every time I say it, people kind of gasp, but I'll straight up say, I, I, I hate veterans. <laughs> I, I do. Um, and it's, it's kind of, why would you I say that? <laughs> why would I say that? Um, because I expect more out of them and I, and I, I look at them as like my own family. And mm-hmm. when I see my own family messing up, like I want to yoke them up, you know what I'm saying? And it's, um, that comes from you being kinda, passionate and caring though. That comes from you having a love for people exactly. and expecting them to hold up to like your expectations. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It just shows right. you're empathetic. It, I just like to say it to, just to go ahead and get it out because that's what it, you know, it's kind of how I feel about, you know, I don't, I don't know how y'all are, but I, I feel the same way about Christians today. I agree. Um, Me being a because, Christian, I agree. Yeah. And I am too, but I, but I, I see. So, I mean, I, our, our church is so weak and just mm-hmm. like milk sop, just nobody stands for anything. Everything's okay. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't, you don't believe that anything's true. And you look at what Jesus did. When did he, like, he hung out with the, the sinners and the harlots and the, the tax collectors and the blue-collar fishermen and, the, and all, the, all the, just the roughnecks. That's who he hung out with. Mm-hmm. Was cool as, cool as a cucumber with them. Loved them. Took care of them. Who did he run through and whip and curse and flip tables and scream and holler? It was at the church because he expected more out of them. Yeah. And, and they were doing the wrong thing. And Jesus also never, never sinned. So what he did was okay. Um, so that's how I feel about the church and that's how I feel about the veterans. And I, I say that to, to, to talk about the other side of what I just said. I don't think all the veterans are the leaders and strong and are going to change this country. I think that, that we have so many good caliber ones right now mm-hmm. that are, that have been quiet for a long time. Yeah. And now we're, now it's just like, all right, we can't, we can't, it's like, it's time to serve. It's time to serve now. Like what we did before when we sounded out of line, like we thought we were serving, but in my opinion, all what I did in the Marine Corps is just to prepare me for something else. Uh, I don't think that was my purpose. I think that was just a stepping stone. I think that was just some tools in my toolbox to help whatever it is, whatever my purpose is, whatever God put me on this earth to do. And examples of other people in history that did that, um, where are y'all from originally? Uh, I grew up in California, out in the desert. My, my dad was in the Air Force, so I grew up everywhere. Okay. Well, some people call me a racist because I'm still, I'm from the South. Um, but, uh, if you read on history, um, general Stonewall Jackson, they still teach his tactics in West point today. He was the first one to use the death in battle in modern battle. He's the, like, he was amazing. Well, you look at his history and you read up on him. He was a, a young Lieutenant in the, the uh, Mexican war and uh, 21 war hero, won a bunch of medals got out, became a, a teacher, went and taught at VMI and was boring. And all the kids thought he was weird and they hated him. And he was in his thirties and he thought his life was basically like, he was just a boring old, old codger that just taught 
lessons at uh, the university and his life was over. And then the civil war happened and he became Stonewall Jackson, legendary, the man, you know, who we all know today, who mm-hmm. he is. And same thing with Lee and same thing with the general, uh, George Washington. He was a young, young veteran, got out many, many years. And then later on he became some, he stepped up and it was his time to, uh, so I think, and that's what I like to tell veterans like myself and like you and, and even non-veterans is like just the experiences, the hardships, the pressures that we go through. And when we, like, we, you know, want to complain and, and bellyache the whole time through yeah. it, like later on, that's, that's part of what's going to help us, uh, I think, take this country back and, and do whatever it is that each one of us, we all have a different purpose here, mm-hmm. Yeah, but we're well, going to find it through hardship, not through a bunch of cushy living. I mean, that's, that's kind of what our podcast is all about is, you know, we keep everything raw. I think we answer it pretty brutally honest as much as possible, but we've mm-hmm. been wanting to help change that conversation, help change that narrative and help bridge that gap between the civilian and veteran communities and figure out how we can all come together and not so much coddle people, but to really inspire people to be like, Hey, after you hang up the uniform, your knife, your life isn't over, but it's just beginning again. So it's kind of like, maybe it's like the same for you. Maybe your military career was just a stepping stone to put you in the direction that you're on now. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's yeah. not to take away from anybody's military experience, but I think it's like what you do then matters then. And it's a part of your life and you should never take away from it. But now you're into this new community of people and you're back into your civilian boots. It's kind of like now you need to focus on where's life going to take you and who are you going to surround yourself with? That's going to help motivate I, you and push you in the right direction. I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, when, when you're sitting around a bunch of veterans, you know, it always turns into old war stories and everybody's talking about what they did and this and that and that. And that's part of it. And I, you know, part of it I love, but then it becomes, you know, the type, um, it's just the past is so much of who they are because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they invaded Iraq there. That's like, that's what they're hanging on to. And, and like, there's no forward looking to a lot of them. And I, I agree with what you're saying. We need to, you know, kind of empower them by slapping them in the, in the dick a little bit and just play yeah. look i don't really care about what you did honestly I, I don't care about that i'm you know it's cool we could talk about it every once in a while but that's not let's just not waste all like let's how are we what are we going to do from here mm-hmm. what are we going to mm-hmm. do take what we have because we all you know us in the, that have surfed a little bit i i think it's a um what's the word we're fortunate yeah. very fortunate to have the experience and to have the um, not, you know, 19, 18, 19 year old selves, a lot of kids aren't doing that, mm-hmm. doing what we did and having to face those hard struggles and having to, you know, see kids hurt and, and families torn apart and having to, you know, you're a compassionate, loving human being like me who was raised to love the Lord and care about people. And then I'm over there also to kill people. And then you're trying to do both. And then you see people that are suffering and you're, you you want to help them, but it's like, you gotta be, you know, it's just, it's a, it's, it'll screw with you, but yeah. it also, um, you figure out who you are. Well, hold on. I didn't figure out how I was till after I yeah. just put my head down in it and pushed mm-hmm. through it. But the pressure cooker that it was, that was happening was the, the thing that really has started to show me that I didn't know who I was. I had been told who I was for a very long time and I had to figure it out. Well, in military service and especially people that go to combat, like I, I know I don't want to downplay anybody who hasn't been to combat because I think anybody who serves like 
you're serving, you're serving your country and it, it does absolutely matter. And I, I would never take that away from anybody who's worn the uniform, but I do think people who've been to comment specifically, like I, I think about it all the time is you, you've lived not only one lifetime, but truly many lifetimes. You've made more split second decisions and, and life or death situations that nobody else has experienced. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot to, like you said, pressure cooker. It's a lot to pack in, in a very short period of time. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it takes a lot to unpack that and to process yeah. it and understand exactly everything that happened. But I think it's important to do that. And, and uh, you know, my next question for you is going to be, you know, especially after retiring after 12 years and yeah, you're, you're medically retired, but you know, are you still going through that process of kind of unpacking your service? Are you still going through the, you know, reflecting back on what it all meant and what it means to you now? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The past three years has been a really, really since, since 18. Mm -hmm. Um, so just a real quick overview of what happened. I got back in 18, had a bunch of, when I got, anyway, I uh, had a bunch of surgery as soon as I got back. And then my wife, and so 2019 was a big year for me. I had three surgeries back to back to back. Um, never really been an injured person. I've always just sucked it up and gone. So to be able, to be like completely out was uh, was tough. And then my wife got, we she our third or fourth child, we got pregnant, um, on a trip. So this was, I was in my medical time. So I was starting my, my film career and I had all my gear had all my, all my gear that I've been moonlighting for a couple of years to, to build it up. And I had a job in San Francisco, went there, took my wife cause I didn't take her on a real honeymoon when we got married cause I didn't have any money. <laughs> I made my, I made my, uh, wedding band out of a half dollar and hers out of a nickel. That's how broke I was. <laughs> and, uh, and that's no joke. I really did that. Um, I got robbed in San Francisco. We parked at the bridge. Went over there, looked at it. Five minutes later, I walked back, and the professionals had come and broken into the SUV and took every, you know. Um, a lot of people are doing that in that area. $25,000 worth of gear. Yeah. Um, and insurance didn't cover it because mm. uh, it was somebody else. It was a friend of mine's SUV, so it didn't cover it. And uh, so we went from that to she had really bad complications with her pregnancy. And I, so I'm just getting back from Afghanistan, trying to roll in, get robbed from my, my new career that I was trying to start. My wife's sick, so I was having to take care of the three kids. She was bedridden, and she's, she's tough as nails, so it wasn't like she was being a baby. Um, and for three months, and then she had a emergency C-section, um, and the kid was born three months early. It was two pounds. Wow. Hmm. Um and they did a, when I say emergency, they, they didn't give her any anesthesia. The only mm-hmm. thing they did was wipe her with a cotton swab of alcohol before they cut. And then just wow. cut, just oh to get it. God. And just rip, just rip them out. If, you, if you've seen Braveheart, the very last scene. Yeah. Exactly. Just, just, that's the picture that happened. Jeez. Um, so she's tough as nails. The doctor was tough as nails to make that decision because it was life or death. And she chose to do it right down on the spot or my son would have died and probably my wife. Um, then he was in the NICU for 65 days. So it was wow. like, I, in that time of getting back, I just, I couldn't sleep. I, I, my, everything just kind of happened. And I was like, I'm not sleeping. I got stomach issues. I got all this stuff stacking up. I hadn't slept in like four months. So I finally decided, I broke down. I was like, I got to go like 
talk to somebody. I was like, this is the most like people like me don't do that. Like mm-hmm. platoon sergeants go, don't go talk to counselors. Like, we, you know. But I started that. And then, uh, in the middle of that, my, all the stuff with the kid happened. I just started to try to let some of that pressure out of that pressure cooker is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I just started to like, all right, I got to start. It's getting tight. Let me, let me let the pressure off and go get some help. And then that's when everything medically happened. She was in the hospital. She had a bunch of tr- blood transfusions. We had to get him medevac to a different hospital that had a NICU an hour away. So I was up there with him. It was Christmas, and all my kids had croup, and they were on a different part of the state. So my wife, my kids were over here, and I was up for 65 days up in the NICU. It was like another deployment. I just shoved it all back down and just went with it. Like, I didn't cry for, like, I mean, my, I watched my son, like, his heart rate stop. And I was just like, well, he's dead. Stop talking about him. And I started praying for my wife. And then I was like, well, looks like she's up. Uh, and I was just like, fuck. Just, you know how it goes. You yeah. Just, you know, and I, I remember after the fact, the doctor came and she was like crying, hugging me and the nurses. And it was like emotional thing for them because it was, it was rough on them. And they were like, how are you so strong? And I'm just, just, I was, you know how it happens. You it's, just have to shut it. You have to set aside all your feelings because you have to get through. It's that compartmentalization. Um, like, honestly, I, the, the, Again, one thing you learn in the military that can be a strength or weakness depending on the situation, and oftentimes mm. it comes off as a strength, but it'll come back to bite you, especially in the, in oh, the it always, situation. It always does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that pressure cooker back down for a long time, and um, and there's a bunch of other stuff. Friends, you know, commit suicide, and family members dying, and a bunch of other stuff happened. Just just kicked me in the balls for, and so. Mm. Um, yeah, the three, the past two and a half, three years, I've really been. That was the kind of the crescendo of stuff that happened that made me just break down and be like, I can't do it. I can't keep living like I'm living. I can't keep just burying it all. I have to figure yeah. out how to get it out. I, I, and so I'm still figuring it out. And I'm still learning more about myself every day. And and some of it's scary. And some of it, you know, when somebody like that, my wife's known me my whole. I, mean, I was a 19 year old kid with a crew cut and shaved face, and and now I'm a you know, got long hair, look like a hippie. And, uh, you know, some of the changes, it, it worries her. Cause she's like, that's not who you were. And like, well, I'm changing. I'm a grown man. Like, yeah. A lot's happened in 12 years. My dad died. I hadn't even told you about that. He died in my arms, um, in 2013 and in front of my wife, my mom and sisters. And so that's a whole different thing that I had to work through. And, and, um, so yeah, to answer that, sorry, I rambled. No, no. Yes, I'm still, still working on trying to get, get some of that or all of that out and uh and it's been it's been interesting it's been a grind it's 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 a, it's simple but it sure isn't hard, isn't easy yeah, well, it's one really thing really is, hard is i think one i appreciate you opening up and sharing that because mm-hmm. i think for people listening and jesse you may have repeated this multiple times on other podcasts and i always hate to have people repeat their story over and over but sometimes it can really help um by just voicing it and getting it out. And so mm-hmm. I just, one, I appreciate you opening up and sharing that because that's insane. And I, and I think that when you think about life and I constantly tell people this is that it can be such a beautiful, rewarding thing and it can really test you at times mm-hmm. and in the most random times and sometimes in the most horrible of times. And it sounds like for you, it was like when you were just getting out and all this is coming crashing down. Um, and, but it seems like now I know in your mind you're still kind of getting things together, but it seems like you're doing well um, from the conversations well, we've had. And I appreciate it, man. And I it comes and go, you know, 
the only reason I'm about to say what I'm about to say, I don't really talk about this. So this is going to be new. This is one of my growing moments, but um, I think everybody, I think it's a human condition to, to think about checking out of this life early. Yeah. After hard stuff. Mm. Maybe not everybody. I think a good, I think more people, uh, more, there's more on that list than, than want to admit. I think, and, um, I think healthy people do, to be honest. And, and people like me, people in the infantry and people like you, you know, your infantry dudes, like who hasn't wanted to blow their brains out on a patrol or a standing post, you know, that's mm-hmm. like, we, that's just part of how we are. We just think about it. We talk about it. Like one of our guys got shot in the head and, uh, the first thing I was was like, look, lucky son of a bitch. Like, like that's all that's what i wanted yeah. and he was fine he made it he this kevlar did the trick but it was just like that's just part of how we cope with stuff and that dark humor and then and a lot of it isn't even we think it's humor but it's it's something else it's us trying to cope and then uh so it's been you know in that three years of me trying like i told you with all that stuff going on it's i've I've really had to dig down and, and survive some very, very dark times, very, very dark, uh, days and nights and weeks mm-hmm. and months. And, um, and you know, my way of trying to protect my wife and my kids is to not let them see that side of me because it's terrifying because it looks like, you know, the way I was raised in the Marine Corps, if somebody did something and I did it myself, you find out somebody was suicidal, then you automatically like, I'm not going to pick him. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. he's not going to be on my patrol. Like he's yeah. weak. Yeah. You know, that's just the way that our, I don't know how we can talk about it and change it, but, and I know the reason why it's that way is because so many of the, the, the weak body malingerers know that if they use that buzzword, then that gets them out of everything. Mm-hmm. And so that makes out, you know, alphas and, and actual legit dudes that are actually struggling, suppress it and not even talk about it because it's going to ruin who they you know who they are and what they look like so that's how i am with my wife and kids like i've kept it to myself and um but it's you know it it's something that i think that our society especially in the veteran community really across the board i think it's a human condition and i think Mm -hmm. that social media has something to do with it i think the internet has something to do with it i think the all the technology everything has something to do with this whatever we're dealing with in a human, our human race right now. And so veterans don't, don't have a leg up on suicide and depression and anxiety. Neither do law enforcement. Like I've heard so many people like, Oh yeah, yeah, I struggle with that. But like, I never served. I wasn't, uh," and it's like, it's the same. Like if you've been through trauma, your body, like we respond pretty much the same way. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how vicious the trauma was or not. Yeah. Like, and so I don't know. I, I just think it's, I think more, what people would think is a strong looking alpha dog or whatever, you know, they look, you know, I'm, I'm a giant and people think I have my life together. So that's when you said it looks like you're doing well, I felt the need to say like, it might look that way, but I am so afraid. If you follow my social media, I try to reflect it. I don't want to show just all the happy. My life's pretty great. I, I live a very great life. I'm super happy. I don't always feel it. Hmm. I don't always feel happy, but you got to go through I pain honestly, to grow. So, yeah, I honestly feel like I am, but I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's part of the, the struggle of getting through some of this stuff. So, yeah, it might look like it, but uh, and I feel like I am doing well, but it comes and goes. And yeah. now I have a lot more better good days than bad days, and that used to be flopped. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm grinding and working, and, and anybody can get through it, and they just got to keep after it. Well, 
you know, it's, it, you're right. It is a human condition because it's a human condition to feel comfort. And when you're going through so much pain, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, whatever it is, it, it's, it's being like, okay, well, there's a very clear way to get rid of this pain. It's, it's an immediate, mm-hmm. an immediate thing. I can check out real fast. And so I, face it. I it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a hundred percent a human condition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, I don't like talking about it, but I, I feel like this is the first time we have talked about it in on our podcast, truthfully. Um, you know, well, this I, is the first time I've ever done it either. I don't <laughs> like it either, but I just, yeah. I've been have I have this heavy feeling of we've some, 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 some strong people need to start talking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. To, sh- to show weak people like, oh, they're, they, okay, it's not just me. Like, yep. that, yeah. We're all going to be weak at times. I don't care how fucking alpha you are. There's yeah. going to be times where I don't care if you're in your closet and your shower and you're breaking down while your family's in the other room. It's going to happen. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. You're still a tough human being. Well, and you yeah. know, and what I was about to say is like the, the 22 a day, I, I hate, I hate that narrative because I, I, Personally, I hate so that narrative much. so much because so much. it's it's creating a path for veterans, right? You talk about it enough yep. and it's like, all right, well, I could just be another statistic. It's not a problem. Like people are going to forget. It's just a number. It's not a person to, to other people. Um, but one thing that somebody told me recently that I, I really hadn't thought of is with 20 years of combat and especially with our advances in medicine and a lot of other things, like there are more people who have come back and survived physical wounds um that are having to deal with that pain but then there's also people that have seen so much more than a lot of people can process other than really since vietnam unless you were somebody who jumped into panama or you went to uh, somalia or something like that like very small factions of the military but over the last 20 years you have a huge percentage of the veteran population who've seen a lot of shit Mm. that Mm. is not pretty and it's it's not a surprising statistic unfortunately when you think about all the pain that veterans are dealing with but it's one that needs to change and it's one that we've got to figure out the right way to fix it and i think having conversations like this is absolutely you know one of the steps in yeah. the right direction 100 percent. right yeah and that's awkward for me <laughs> i don't like talking about it i especially don't like talking about it when i'm the one like admitting that i'm the weak one yeah i I think it goes it goes into what everyone always says is that you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to grow like there's Mm -hmm. comfort in the uncomfort Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't want to face that a lot i think a lot of people don't because i think a lot of people it's just a pride thing they don't want to come off weak they don't they want everyone wants to come off like they have their shit together they're doing well financially there's nothing wrong and if they describe anything to the contrary, that they look weak and that's unattractive and no one wants to be with them, no one wants to be their friend, whatever the case may be, it's not true. It's like we all go through our own ups and downs. I know people that run multi-million dollar businesses that are stressing to the IRS coming after them. Like mm-hmm. they've got all kinds of issues. So it's, I think it's important. And again, thank you for you know, opening up and sharing that. I was actually gonna make a funny comment because you mentioned it. You're six five over two hundred pounds. You're a big guy. I would imagine when you were knocking down doors, you might have been the first guy in, and I'm sure you were a big target because everyone's like, "Who's that? Oh, yeah. Who's that big guy <laughs> knocking down my door? Who's that ogre I'm, giant kicking down my door?" I'm, yeah, I'm surprised that I was I got back in one piece. Um, 
I was always the one in, in training. I was always the one shot and put on the stretcher and make all the <laughs> They always put the heaviest every, every time. Oh, every time the heaviest guy gets carried every single time. <laughs> how, how good does it feel though? Like you were saying, your wife, you know, was saying, you know, you were different back then. You had a shaved face, maybe shorter hair. But how good does it feel to have a beard? Like to be oh, different. Well, like just, you're probably, you're not going to go back. Off, man. <laughs> I had a good one, and, and I finally I broke down. I was like. My wife does. She likes like the fade look, and mm-hmm. and and my baby. Like I look like I'm twelve. Like, I got I was a young a staff face sergeant, too. and I look like I'm twelve. <laughs> I was like a twelve year old staff sergeant, a giant twelve year old. <laughs> and so yeah, in my line of work, you know, in film work and going around doing what you and I do, like we we kind of need to. I need to look a little bit more mature than I yeah. you know, than I am. And uh, so I shave my beard for, her and she loves it. But I I still got the hair. I got that. I'm growing the beer back as fast as I can. Oh, yeah. Like right now. I'm growing it right this second. You know, as hard as I can. You know what's funny? You're just like, just push it. Come on. <laughs> the funny thing is, is I I uh, did the typical, like, don't cut your hair, grow your facial hair out, COVID 2020. And I never did mm-hmm. before. I always had like stubble. I had the faded haircut and it looked clean, but I'm the same way. I looked really young. I'd be 30 years mm-hmm. old and I'd look like I'm 21, 22. And I started growing it out, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I can't go back. I can't go back to a clean face. That's how I feel, man. And I've been like, I like I said, I did it for my wife like a week ago. I shaved my. I had a pretty good little beard going, and it's like I don't think I can ever cut my hair again, ever. Yeah. I just. <laughs> I want I, it down to my waist. I got kind of an offhand question for you. What was I, the most memorable moment of you being on the Discovery Channel show Darkness? Y'all did do your research. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was years ago. Uh, I, I told Dan, I'm like, we got some questions that we've digging deep, and he's gonna be like, "What the fuck? You guys know how to yeah, interview y'all people?" Are good. I hadn't had anybody ask me that in a while. Uh, it was that was it was fun. Uh, you know, How'd you get on that? Like, how did that all happen? I can't remember. Somebody reached out, and they were looking for uh, they were looking for military somebody with seer seer school experience because mm-hmm. the, their test they had put a bunch of people in and they all uh you know like freaked out the first five minutes in and so they're like well we need somebody with some kind of training so they got me and then there was a seer instructor out of california female mm-hmm. and then there's just a mountain man out of the south uh west virginia and those us three That's and they cool. put us in a cave in a in a fallout shelter in, in death valley it was a couple hundred miles worth of caves yeah. And they just took us to the back of it, split us up in three parts, and said, "Go find your way out." I think I know where that's at. Out in Death Valley, I've done a lot of those backpacking yeah, like trips out there. I, I don't remember because they had us blindfolded the whole time. When they, you know, I have no idea where it was. But mm-hmm. um, the most memorable part was probably the as uh, soon as they let me go, like they blindfold you and take you spin you around, and then they take you for you know twenty minutes in circles, and then. 20 minutes circles another way they try to get me lost well as soon as they're i was like able to do my thing and they have i mean they did really good they blacked out cameras no light no not one thing of light hit my pupil for six days wow and um and with all the cameras they had going and all that never saw a thing like they were really good six days but as soon as they let me go i started like there's a breeze on my face so i just started walking towards the breeze yeah you know feeling around feeling around and they're like where, uh, where are you going like I'm, you told me to get out, and they're like, "Fast you get out," you know. They're like, oh, oh, "You need to go this way." I'm like, but out's that way. <laughs> like, well, uh, no, you need to go this way. It's like, no, you said like, "Is this a survival show or is this a like a like 
just like a movie that y'all are directing. Yeah. Because you told me to get out. When the we we need rolling. six days of footage, damn it. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I was saying. And I was like, this is like day like, two. I was like, they're hit, it's hit me in the, I could have gotten out there in, five, in 45 minutes. I could have got out. But instead, it looked like I wandered around for six days. And uh, But it was fun. It was fun. Um, what do they do for like food and all that? Well, it was a so it was a fallout shelter back in the in the Cold War. So there's like, you just, I randomly found some stuff. I'm sure they planted it there. I don't know, but I found some old cans of soup and stuff that were putrid and disgusting, uh. and some old crackers that were pissed on by a bunch of rats. And the most memorable thing was I, I don't like rodents, and I woke up and they were like I can still I still honestly. I have PTSD from it. <laughs> I still sleep with a blanket over my head because of that the time in that cave. Because they were, I woke up and they were doing. Oh, like oh my god! On my face, and I just don't like. I don't nope. like that stuff. No. Nope. And uh, so that was fun. I still good friends with both of both the crew member, cast members I was in there with. Do you think? Uh, so you did go to go to Sear prior to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like, because I went to Sierra as well, so I'm wondering, like, did did the training, especially in Sierra, obviously very different, but at the same time, they teach you a lot of skills to survive and like how to mm-hmm. think, how to be able to. Really, the big thing is is like how to when you're in the worst worst possible scenario, how to calmly just think through your actions and like what you're going to do. Like, did the, yeah. did all that kind of flow back in and just be like, all right, I know what I need to do because. My events here, I don't, I don't know. Um, honestly, it was so easy. It, I mean, the show, it was like, they put, for one day, they locked me in this room. And they're like, you can't leave for a day. This is isolation period. And they were trying to get us to, like, go crazy. Yeah. And I was just like, it was the best, <laughs> like, it was just dark. And I could just lay around. I had no responsibility. Like, I was, <laughs> it really wasn't that bad. They were trying to get me to, like, crack and get, they were like, they pull me aside and be like, well, so-and-so's talking bad about, you know, they, they think you're a terrible leader and this, and I mean, just trying to like start. <laughs> they always do I mean, cause stuff. they want drama. They want yeah. drama. Yeah. They have that to get their story. And now that I'm in film, I get exactly. Oh yeah. If yeah. I went back and did it, I would be a lot more, it would have been a lot more interesting. They would have got a lot more out of me probably, but then mm-hmm. I was just like, cause they kept wanting me to be like lean on the part of like talk all these cheesy lines about being a Marine and all. And I was like, look, you can put the little thing on the bottom that says I'm a Marine. I'm not a Marine when I'm in here. Like I'm just a, I'm just Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> don't mm-hmm. be, don't be trying to get me to be a cheese dick <laughs> on national TV. The funny thing is too about that. Like, is, you need to stay simplify after that. And I was like, no, <laughs> oh, no. You need to say. That's simplify. where I would have been like, all right, I'm walking out. <laughs> oh yeah, I did a couple times. That, they they uh, anyway. The funny, that was, was kind of belligerent. The funny thing is, is that a lot of people buy into all of that that film narrative stuff, and like you just said, like, like for instance, I've had a, a different friends that have been on those typical dating shows, like Bachelor, or Bachelorette, whatever, um, Love Island, all those. I've seen people that I know from LA on there, and I've seen them act like completely, totally different than how they are as a person. Yeah. And then people come to me and they're like, "Can you believe this guy? Like he did that?" I'm like, "I'm telling you." They that's not him. they egg those people on. Mm. They literally tell you what to say, and they'll literally like they'll have the film crew like instigate a lot of those things, and, oh, yeah. and none of it's all that scripted. Like well, none of it's real. I, I remember uh, somebody told me this a long, long, long time ago uh, that the only thing real about reality TV is the fact that you're watching it. 
that's it's true. Uh, so that's my memories of it was just being like these people. Like they wanted us to like once we found the other two, I found the other two people. That was one of the missions. They want us to tie ourselves to each other. Oh, like a rope line just to like a rope keep line you guys so you yeah. don't get lost. Yeah. I was like, I was like, did, we can talk. That's the dumbest. <laughs> that is so stupid. Like I have my voice. They have ears. Like, yeah, it's not, it was the just dumb stuff. They're like, well, at this point you probably need to like pour out the can of soup here. So when you walk by, maybe you'll smell it. And you'll know this is, I was like, I have one can of soup and you're telling me to pour it out. So maybe I'll stumble upon it on the way. Like that's the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> they need some better people writing those things. This I mean, is, you this know, they should have yeah. just, they should have just had you guys be like human centipede and then find your way out. <laughs> <laughs> more interesting. Definitely more interesting. After you ate some soup. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, obviously you've been getting into film, but I, I, I'm curious because especially like growing up in the, in the lifestyle you did, like on ranching, like hard work, labor, things like that. Why, why are you, I guess you have your interest and passion in storytelling and film and, and producing and things like that. Hmm. Um, that's a really good question. The, uh, my dad was a, he was a, a man's man. He was a strength coach, all American football player, um, a month before he died, he was still out squatting me in the gym. Hmm. Um, he was just a, he was a, he was just a, an alpha. And, but he also played guitar and he drew and he wrote poetry and, and, uh, he, he was a, a great blend of both. Mm-hmm. He was a warrior poet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the example that he had always used was King David. You look at him and, you know, he was a, the king said, if you go cut hundred dicks off of the Philistines, I'll give you my daughter. So he went and cut 200 dicks off and brought them back in a sack. And, and, uh, he killed, you know, the giant and he did all these amazing things he did, but he also played the harp and wrote poetry and sang and danced and he was an artist. And so that was my, as a child, that was what I, the way I was raised is like, you can be both. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can, you can lean into both really hard and, and be a blend of that. And, um, so that was, you know, honestly, it was my dad. I went on a, a trip 2002, um, to DC. We went and saw DC for the first time and we saw the Pentagon with a burnt hole in it from the year before. Yeah. And, uh, I just had one of those little disposable wind up you know, cameras with, or not disposable, but the little film ones. And my dad went and got, you know, 13 of us. He had a lot of film to develop because we all had our little cameras taking pictures. But he pulled mine. He, he may have done it to everybody, but he pulled me aside and was like, "Hey, like you've got an eye for this. And like you see how this looks." And he was like, "You've got something. Like you ought to got to pursue that. That's you're good at it." And as a 12 year old kid that was like a troublemaker and was always getting disciplined and everything, that was like exactly what I needed to hear. And so I thought, you know, from then on, I was like, "I'm a, I'm an artist. Like I can mm-hmm. I got this." My dad my dad said I was good at it, so. So that's what got me interested in it and film and movies was something I always loved and watched all the old stuff, you know, Jimmy Stewart's and yeah. Gary Cooper and Abbott and Costello and mm-hmm. all the good, the good old classics. And uh, so when he died in 2013, he had been telling me, he looked at my work and he was like, you like, just go start charging what the professionals charge. Yeah. Just do it. And I was, ah, cause I was still in the Marine Corps and I was trying to like do both, but I was trying to figure out how to make a living when I got out. So when he died, I just like, well, it's time to start. Just jump in and do it. And, and uh, yeah, so photography is what got me into it. And then I, I did a film on a on a veteran 
in Vietnam who, um, anyway, it meant went to Sundance and it was my first try at film. And, uh, so that was a, uh, you know, boost of confidence and kind of got yeah. me more into the film side of things. Well, that's wow. huge. Yeah. And I think it's, it's cool to hear that. Cause from one creative to another, we've had podcasts where I've talked about how I've, I wish there was, you know, more veterans in the creative space, photography, filmmaking, whatever the case may be. Hell, I've even been wanting to do some kind of workshop with veterans that might find interest in mm -hmm. photography where I can teach them the basics of it and maybe the business side of it. But it's cool to hear that your dad spotted that, you know, out of your 12 other siblings pushed you to do that. Even through your military career, it was still an interest in the back of your mind. And then you pursued it afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't think a lot of people do that. And so it's kind of interesting, you know, to hear what brought you into that. And, and you're doing more filmmaking now than photography, right? Yeah, I'd still do a lot of both, but the, I, I definitely do a lot more film. It just, mm -hmm. it, it pays a lot, to be yeah. honest, it pays a lot better. <laughs> it pays a lot um, better and more people need it. I think right now a lot of things are going towards video. More people need it. Yeah, but my pack, I still look, really honestly, and before I used to think I wanted to be a professional photographer and then I became one and started making money at it and I did it for a while and I was like, well, okay, I still got like, that wasn't it. That's not the, I'm still itching. I got to, so I went to the next thing and I went to the next thing. And, um, honestly, I just think I'm a storyteller mm -hmm. and I use a camera sometimes and still, sometimes I use, I write my own words. Sometimes I draw sometimes, you know, I use a different, a bunch of different tools, but, um, so I'm, you know, I'm a little bit of all of it. I enjoy it. We're, I just love humans and I hate them at the same time. And <laughs> yeah, I like to d document them. Well, they're an interesting, uh, an interesting medium to try and to try and explain. And, uh, you know, obviously there's millennia of trying to do that and yeah. stories have been told many different ways, but like what, um, what I guess is, is your style of storytelling? Like, do you typically tell first person narratives? Is it more of like uh, third person? Like what's your style, I guess, uh, that you typically align with? Oh, that's, that's good. Um, I, I have a lot of different, a lot of different ways of doing it. And I'm still trying to, I guess, figure out what my style is. Cause a lot of what I do, I freelance. So I kind of take my skill set and I go do it for somebody else's project. Mm -hmm. So I haven't actually went and done my, I have this one and maybe we'll talk about it offline. Y'all can help me. Cause I have this idea for my own that I've just, I've just been bogged down doing everybody else's. I haven't done my own thing, but I want to. And, um, but I just, my thing is I want to highlight people's stories that, most people just look over and don't it's around us every day, but we don't realize it mm -hmm. and, um, and, and show the, the glory in everyday life in this country, people that are just grinding and going yeah. through stuff that, you know, that if you really take the time to get to know the personal details of people's stories, it's like, man, like you don't have to be a, a triple tour combat veteran to do something cool. Like this nurse no. is like a badass, and she's just like, going through this horrible life altering six years of her life because of all the series of stuff going down or whatever it is. It's like, I want to highlight humans outside of the veteran space because I think, I'm, I think a lot of good people in the veteran space are, are highlighting the veteran side. And I still love doing that. My thing mm -hmm. was world war two guys. Mm -hmm. My last, I had a project with, um, we're working with Mark Wahlberg's production company, him and Nate Borg and I were doing a, a project on, um, Iwo Jima Marines mm -hmm. and uh, it was awesome. Spent a lot of time with them, but COVID can the whole deal. Um, that's my favorite is getting their stories. 
Um, I feel like I'm my style, I guess, is I, I think I because I I get people to open up in ways that a lot of times they've never done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people want to ask, you know, want to know how I do that. And uh, honestly, it, it, you just have to care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to honestly really give a rip and care about them and then shut your mouth and let them talk. I um, and let them feel feel that you you are understanding them. Don't break eye contact. Yeah. Don't be checking your phone. Don't look at your watch. Like, honestly, be into and and people in the veteran. When I'm talking to the older veterans, it really helps that I'm a veteran. Like, it really mm-hmm. helped them open up about way in ways that others couldn't get. But, um, it's cool to to hear you say that because I had experienced that for the first time when I was interviewing veterans for our book. Um, you know, I. Drove across the United States four times across 42 states, photographed 71 veterans all on film. And I had to sit down in their living room or in their work or whatever the case may be. And exactly what you said, shut my mouth, listen, and and really be interested and ask the right questions. And, you know, every once in a while you would have the people that were kind of iffy. They were kind of like, I don't know if I want to share my story. Like, I don't feel like it's as important. And then you'd sit down and I noticed a pattern with almost every interview, you'd have that awkward kind of five minute period in the beginning. And then after you would ask a question that would somehow relate to both of you, or it would be like, Oh, me too. Like, and then you would have that common bond. It would just flow. And then I would just let them speak for an hour or whatever they'd wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny because you're doing opposite. You're kind of telling the, like the good stories and outside of our project with this book, it's like, I want to, I want to do a personal project where I photograph and interview, you know, some of my friends that are Navajo out in Arizona. I want to do a whole like book and series on the Navajo and the culture there. I want to mm. photograph and interview skinheads, people that are like into meth, like, and just interview yeah. like the crazy weird people that most people would ban from society because I want to know what drove them to that point. And I want to understand that culture. And understanding that culture and able to tell that in a way with your skills mm-hmm. will help other people have, have, I don't want to say compassion because that's not, but be able to relate and actually understand a little bit more and maybe, maybe help and kind of bridge that gap between. I love that idea. Yeah. And, and I know people listening are like, well, we can't understand a skinhead who's racist, but it's kind of like, yeah, but where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you weren't born a racist. So where did that come from and what drove them to that? Like, I want to yeah. know their childhood, their upbringing, what got them into that movement. And so there's just so many interesting people and stories out there. And I think what really opened that up was Dan and I and Tom working together, photographing, interviewing veterans to now it's kind of pushed me into more of a photojournalist documentary kind of mm-hmm. artist where I got so used to photographing models and there's, I hate to put them down, but you're doing commercial work. There's no real story involved in that. <laughs> You're just looking at pretty girls uh, and you're like, okay, but now it's like, I want to have something real. I, I am with you a hundred percent on that. I don't like working. You know, someday I'd like to do big, like, uh, like big films, mm-hmm. but my favorite are, are human, real human beings. Yeah. And there's nothing like working with just raw people. Yeah. I'd, I'd also do a lot of producing for, I don't know if you've heard of blood origins. It's, it's in the hunting space, but it's yeah. a, documentary style so i do a lot of their episodes and um and that's what i look for is is just the real the real raw who nobody else would think to talk to and 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 go do a story on them and and figure them out and uh, 
And I think it's relatable. It helps. Well, that's a perfect segue into the next question I was going to ask is uh, like, especially being, you know, raised kind of in the outdoors and, and doing things like that. But like what, what, uh, what started you in that? What keeps you, I guess, engaged in being an outdoorsman and, and trying to, I guess, continue to be one with nature in a certain sense? Um, it's funny. I ask these kind of questions to people all the time. Well, now you're I've here. never had one. I've never had anybody <laughs> ask me. Uh, so that's good. Um, let me think of that for a second. It's just the way God meant it, in, intended it to be. It's it's humans have been having to feed themselves since the beginning of time. It's traditional. They it's ethical. Go, yeah, they didn't just go to the Dollar Tree and or to the Dollar General and get you, you know, your fat cakes and whatever for for your snack. You had to go out and kill a rabbit or something. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that technology and all of our society that's gone super modern and big cities and trains and everything's covered in cement and all this stuff like it's all great and has a good place for it but i think that there's just something that the, that human beings need in breathing fresh air and and walking barefoot in the dirt and mm-hmm. you know eating something that they killed and drinking out of the ground and you know experiencing life outside of society i agree the, mm-hmm. the, the bustle of society and you know, having the, the pollen from the trees help your immune system and watch, you know, eating the bee, you know, eating the honey from your local bees. So you have, you know, you don't get allergies around that area. And like, I just, that's, it's part, it's just part of being human. Yeah. And uh, it was, it's how I was raised. It's how, so, you know, kill, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about harvesting animals. I went out and harvested this animal because it sounds better to the anti hunters. Mm. I don't, I don't harvest anything, but like, corn and stuff like i kill animals (laughs) and i think if i for me it's me explaining that it is a kill is if i were to change that word and try to pretty it up it's do it's it's actually being disrespectful to that animal Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know they had to to, for for my family to eat something had to die yeah yeah and and if i try to pretty it up like no it was like we we planted that deer and it grew and then we 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 harvested it like no i I had to kill it yeah it's unfair and 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 it's i think that's you know that's that's why god created a lot of what he did and gave us dominion over it and um i think it's a very special bond that you have there's something good you know i'm sitting here looking at my a bear skull that i just got back from last year's hunt and then one bear back there on the my son wears a bear claw around his neck he's been wearing it for a year and uh, we're still eating the bears that we killed last year. And bear and, meat's great. Yeah, it, yeah, it's good. And um, yeah, it's a, it's important, I think. And I think the way our society's going, and I think the way this country's going, and I think the way this world's going, something's going to happen pretty soon to make it's going to be really hard on a lot of people. And I don't know what mm-hmm. that's going to look like, but I, I just don't think that we can keep going like we're going. I think we're going to have a little bit of uh, a short time of some very difficult things. And I think people that know how to, um, you know, kill and eat and grow things and, and have kids that already know how to do that at a young age. And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, that's what, that's real living. Everything yeah. else doesn't really matter. 
and you know the the pan, pandemic quote unquote pandemic kind of did that at the beginning everybody stayed home and tried to help out and do their own thing and for a couple months it was like real living yeah like, i didn't have <laughs> any meetings you know all my work in la and new york was done like i was i was off the grid and i just lived with my family and we just had a blast and mm. i've kind of changed my my view on and goals a lot of ways since all that because I, i've seen what's more important isn't that i still still love the arts i still want to pursue it but it's like if it doesn't work like i my purpose right now is my family and and spending time with them and raising them and mm-hmm. and preparing them for in, ca- in case something bad happens and even if it doesn't happen they're still prepared and you know but isn't that like an incredible and powerful feeling because i just i feel like um you don't have many people that going back again to what i said earlier that practice that lifestyle anymore and i'm not knocking anybody that doesn't hunt that you know doesn't want to do it that doesn't want to live off the land but there's something for me, like Dan and I both hunt and I can honestly say for myself, and I'm sure Dan would agree that you just feel better being out in nature, living off the land, fishing for, for food for that night. If you're camping out along the river or hunting for food and providing it to your friends and family and, and killing that animal with ethics. And it's kind of like what you said, you know, you brought up this whole like kind of alpha thing earlier. The problem I think with a lot of men that you're seeing right now is so many men are trying to be alpha and they're almost doing it to like, they're doing it in a way to like attract females, but they're not truly like understanding the idea behind it. And so I think that you're seeing a lot of these guys that are like, I'm alpha this, I do this, I make this much money, I act this way. I think half those people, like a lot of hunters I know, do we can take you up to the woods or the mountains and you'd be praying to be out in a body bag in two days. Like uh-huh. you just wouldn't make it. Like, and there's something so, <laughs> Like I really look up to, to hunters and outdoorsmen because they know how to survive and they know how to provide for people and they don't try and post it on social media and just showcase it. Like they just live that lifestyle and they're real about it. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. But and, and to, to follow up with that, I'm curious, how did you bag a record breaking 792 pound alligator? You did do your research. Goodness <laughs> gracious. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm going to bring up somebody who's like, damn, I was 14 years old. How the hell? I don't remember. That was pretty long ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. it was a buddy of mine. He, he drew a tag. I'd never been uh, never been hunting for gator. And he, he was like, hey, I got a tag. I can kill it. And uh, I just need somebody to go with me. So I went with him and him and the guide and I was three of us in a, you know, the 15 foot war Eagle boat Mm -hmm. and, uh, went out and in Mississippi, you have to snare it first. You have to hook it. So we had these deep sea fishing rods and you hook it, reel it in before you can shoot it. And, uh, we fought it for an hour and 10 minutes or something. And uh, it bit the boat and tried to, I mean, he was mean. Mm. It was funny because I went to, went to leave and I went to hug my mom because I lived, I went to, I was home and went to give her a hug and told her what I was, she was like, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go over to the, the other side of the state on the river and go alligator hunting. She was like, you don't like lizards. <laughs> I was like, good. You're right. I hadn't thought about it. That's I why I'm going to kill one. I was like, I'm about to go. And then that night I went out and the only time I've ever been gator hunting, we got a 792 pound gator, 13 foot, five inches long and was a state record. That's cool. crazy. That That's nuts. like, 
I've I don't seen know, some big gators before, and I, I'm an idiot that tries to grab their tails and do a bunch of stupid shit with them. That's a huge yeah. alligator. Well, it was it, funny because I go ahead. Because well, I was gonna say I I've uh, gone elk hunting a few times, and I I think the one that we got one year was like I don't know 650 pounds something like that, which is that's a good size. Elk. It's a good size elk, but <laughs> to hear a 790 pound gator, that's like. <laughs> That just sounds crazy to me. I don't even understand it, how something that big can waddle around or swim in the water. Like it's crazy. Oh, and fast too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it was uh, it was interesting. It was funny that after that amount of time of just adrenaline dump, adrenaline dump. Once we killed it, we couldn't get it in the boat. Like it was weight. I mean, it's eight hundred pounds, yeah. pretty much, and it's dead weight. And I'm like, dang. And I don't like creepy crawlies. I'm I was born in the in the swamp, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like getting in there with a snake. I don't. But my adrenaline was gone. I was just like, well, so I had to jump down in there and like hold on to it and hang on to the boat. And we got, and I was like, oh my. alligator eyes everywhere watching oh, us. Man. Oh Looking back, I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. And you got the water but, moccasins uh, and all that out there. <laughs> yeah. It made their cover of the Marine Corps times. They had, they had the big old gator on it. And it was funny. That's crazy. <laughs> funny. Yeah. I don't even know how you would but, even begin to like, for people listening, when, when like I, you know, bow hunt and, and started learning how to do it a lot more from a mentor of mine who taught me how and took me on a lot of hunting trips. And when you're putting a stock on a deer or an elk, it's like, you know, you're usually up glassing on a mountain or, you know, trying to find the big ones. And then you find one and you put on a stock where you try and get close to them and put them down. I don't know how you would stock a gator. Like, I don't know how you would try and find the biggest gator in a swamp. It's tough. Yeah. yeah it's because all you see is their eyes. Yeah. And you know, you're, you know, the wider they are, the bigger their head is, and the bigger they are. But uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to pick it out. The the guy told us that he was like, "That's a big one. Let's go get that one." So we went, we went, and got that one. Ended up, he was the good one. Damn, that's insane. Hundred hundreds of I mean, you would sit there in spotlight and just turn a circle, and they're just hundreds. All, I mean, it, I'd love to photograph yeah. something like that, like going like a uh, a hunting trip out in like the bayou or like swamps, and just photograph yeah. that. That would be such you a know, cool story. I that is one area of the country that I'm just like, you know what? I just have I no no desire. Listen, Louisiana. So I went to I went to I went to uh, ranger school, and you do Florida phase where you're walking mm-hmm. through the swamps in uh, the Panhandle of Florida in southern Alabama. And so I've walked through it all. I, I I know how nasty it is and how nasty it can get. And I hated every step of it. So like, yep. <laughs> I, just, I don't want to do it again. Oh, no. I, uh, I, th- I think it's just, it's pretty to me. Like, I like the culture. I like the food. I like hearing the insects. And you see, like, the little swamp boats and swamp homes. You got the old cypress trees growing out of the water. It's just, it's pretty to me. Oh, it looks cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It looks cool. I'm just saying I don't want to get in it again and walk and around in it. that's the difference between us, us infantry guys it's like i like snow's beautiful i don't ever want to walk in it again like i don't like, i love it looking at it through a cabin or a ski resort but i sure don't want to be out in it good no gracious. that was the one thing i took away i was like i never, never want to be cold again i never want yeah. to be cold again <laughs> yep same with swamp I, i'm good if i'm in a boat but don't put me in it yep so i have one more off the wall kind of uh thing i also found out or uh, did you find it? he was he was talking okay about it. yeah so you you were a bouncer at at one point yeah. he's like obviously you're a huge going? i was gonna say obviously you're a huge guy already and so it, yeah. it just it, it makes sense that somebody would want you to be a bouncer but what was that i guess experience like 
It was a blast. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. <laughs> really? Uh, just got to beat up people? Yeah. I had, I had, oh, yeah. I got to take out aggression on people. And my, I had a code of ethics I would live by. I didn't ever swing at anybody. I never hit anybody unless they hit me first. And uh, I was always really nice. I was super nice. I wasn't a jerk. I was super nice to people. But when they wanted to throw down. So usually the big guys don't get a lot of action because they're huge. Yeah. But then the people that actually want to fight them usually know more. So like... Like I can handle myself pretty good, but if if a little tiny dude comes up to me and just really wants to fight me, I'm like, you probably know something I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. I had to quit because uh, it became too enjoyable. Mm. <laughs> I, I enjoyed hurting people. They called me the Greek beater. <laughs> and uh, at one point, I had a it was actually a bunch of army dudes. Um, I was in a college town, and I knew a lot of the guys that were in the. Uh, my brother was going through ROTC at the time, and because anyway, one of one of the prior, he was a ranger before. He was at the bar, and he came grab me. He's like, "Hey, this guy's disrespecting my girlfriend. I'm going to take him out back and beat him." I was like, "All right, cool. <laughs> just, just don't let it get out of hand." So I went out there to watch it, and they started fighting. And the girl ran out there to try to break it up, and then. The other dude right back and punched her in the face, and oh, then I wow. uh, turned zero to zero to black in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Jump straddle of him and was pummeling him in the face, and then all his frat boys—I can't remember what frat it was—they all emptied the thing and jumped on me. And so it was me and two army dudes, and we beat an entire frat house, part, like like fifteen dudes. Sounds about right. And I don't know how. It felt like one of those old Roy Rogers movies where you're just punching <laughs> left and right, just looking in everywhere. And people, I mean, ripping their shirts off and all of a sudden the cops, somebody called the cops and the blue lights are coming. So we went from beating and curb stomping to like, it was over and we're like helping them up. Like, hey, that was a good fight. Let's go. You know, being, we were just being normal. Yeah. Dude, you know, normal veteran stuff. And they didn't know what to do with like, we were just curb stomping them. And then we're like, hey, get out of here before the cops are here. It was a good fight. Like, you need a ride home. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> That's the thing though. You can't really do that anymore. Like I've talked about it way back on a previous episode to where I felt like the most humiliating thing that can happen to you is getting punched in the face and back slap, slap, slapped in the face. Oh, that's true. The most humiliating thing is getting slapped in the face. Most humbling thing is getting Mm. punched in the face. Humble. Well, I've I've had both. I've been slapped by a few females (laughs) and then I've been punched by a few guys, but I think it's when a dude slaps you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you get slapped by a dude and then you just take it, I don't know, but it's kind of like, I just remember growing up in the high desert where we would just get in fist fights at the skate park where we get in fist fights in high school and then you become friends after like you pick each other mm-hmm. up and you'd be like, are we done? Cool. And then like you'd end up becoming friends. Nowadays, it's almost like people just press charges like people. Yeah, it's people uh, will talk. Shit I, to their I, face I, and, yeah. We need more of that physical stuff. People wouldn't be near as. Yeah, we're just we're a soft society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're about we're about to get put through the ringer and we're going to gonna have to be tough pretty soon i'm afraid oh yeah what's what do you think are some of the the biggest stereotypes that you've experienced with your previous you know job or career being a bouncer stereotypes Mm -hmm. with me just in general or um uh i don't know i don't know if it's just bouncer but everybody i'd love to kind of blend it back what we're talking about about being a an artist and a 
and somebody that likes to hurt people at mm-hmm. the same time. You know, when I show up, people I look like are just a meathead, redneck. You know, you know, I would show up to it like I'd shoot a wedding or something on a weekend, or and they thought I was a security showing up. You know, <laughs> like wait, what? You're the photographer? Like what? And it, and I love that. And the same with like you know, bounce. You know, people they assume I'm just like a just a just a retard because I'm a I'm a giant retarded looking dude, and then they get to talk to me, and I you know I can talk about the arts and talk about, you know, whatever. I like to surprise people, Yeah. but I got, I get stereotyped a lot as it being just um, big and dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <makes laughs> that's what I am most of the time. <laughs> well, I think it's good to, to break those stereotypes, especially. And I, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, what you're continuing to do, not only just, you know, we were talking about this actually on a previous previous episode, and I, I think it's really important how you know only one percent of the American population have served in the global war on terror, but it's rare to find one percent really in any career outside of typically you know middle management, finance, um, maybe medical, but really that's where a lot of veterans get pushed. M- maybe a lot of manual labor j- jobs and things like that, but there's not that much in the arts. It's, it really yeah. isn't. It's it's yeah. way less than one percent. Oh yeah. And and then and then on, on, to make that percentage even more is the you know the infantry guy the 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 infantry dudes in the arts is even yeah. less. You oh, know, yeah. usually they're they're in law enforcement or they're in some kind of you know armed security or something like that. And so, I I think that our society and it's been that way through through the time with with human history like. Um, the storytellers are what keep nation, you know, keep, keep us in line. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's a lot, uh, I think what we're trying to do, all three of us is very important for our society. Yeah. And I think that, um, storytelling needs to be done the right way. And, um, but I think we need to make sure that we keep um, in mind that what we're doing is almost a sacred thing mm-hmm. because yeah. it's, it, it can impact a lot more, um, it can impact a lot and if we're doing it right it will yeah um so that's you know because if if we don't tell it somebody else will yeah and uh, a lot of times it might not be the right way so exactly well oftentimes it's it's spun to whatever whatever narrative or whatever i don't know reasoning they have to to tell the story and that's why you know going back to what you were saying and what we've done is like let people tell their story you can be a storyteller mm-hmm. still but allow somebody else to tell it yeah, and exactly. I think, I think, and that's what a true storyteller is. Mm-hmm. It's not taking their story and then telling it back in a different way. It's asking them in a way that they can communicate their story and, and giving them the, the opportunity to do so. I think that's what the best storytellers yeah, are. hundred percent. Ones that are telling and, uh, it true. And with that said, you know, as we start to wrap for this episode tonight, I want to know what are some things that you're working on right now and how can people follow along? Okay. Right now, um, I've actually, so with, let's see, I have a few that I can't really talk about just yet. Um, but right now I'm, I'm just enjoying, I'm, I'm working with blood organs a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's a, I, I, a couple, you know, once or twice a month I'm traveling with them. And then I do right now, you know, I told you earlier offline, but I'm doing a lot more living for a living, less working for a living. So I am, uh, I got my wife and kids around here and we're doing all kind of stuff around here with our, we got a little, I'm in my, my little 
barn here that we board horses out of and I got rental properties and Airbnbs and, and I travel and do these jobs and I, we went to Montana for a month. I took my kids and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, right now I'm just kind of, I'm doing some jobs here and there, but I haven't, I haven't, uh, I don't have anything super cool to tell you as in a big project. Yeah. I have one or two in my mind that I'm not supposed to talk about yet, but and we um, can, we can follow up. And I think, you know, we'll yeah. link your social media. We'll link everything. So if people are interested in seeing, the projects that you're working on as an artist coming up, they'll have those channels to do so. And I know that um, I travel, I think a little bit more, I got a little bit more time on my hands than Dan, but I'd personally love to come out, you know, and meet you and see if Heck we can yeah, somehow man. all work on a project together. Um, I like getting down to Missouri as much as I can. Montana, I try and work yeah. outfits up there with, you know, some of my family. So uh, yeah. at some capacity, I'm in Mississippi, by the way, I'm, I'm, or sorry, not Mississippi, Missouri. excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just make sure you do that. Yeah. I'm proud of my state, so I want <laughs> other people to think I was from Missouri. But uh yeah, man, anytime y'all are both welcome. Um and uh maybe we'll meet up in Montana if you go out to the gala. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesse, I appreciate uh, your time and, and just for you wanting to be on the podcast and share your story, you know, it's great to like I said before, unofficially, you know, meet you and, and have you on here. For sure. I appreciate both of you. Look forward to shaking your hand one day. Yes, yeah, sir. Absolutely. All right, God bless.